Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the owner of Austin's newest vegan restaurant, All Grass, No Steaks, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? That's dumb, and I love it. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't hate it, uh, Gerald. Uh, for the folks who, who did not have the pleasure of knowing 19-year-old Gerald, he used to uh, find ways to answer the phone uh, when you would call him just to, uh, to flap you and, and, and be ridiculous. Um, I will leave those in the realms of 19 to 22 year olds, but uh, I'll just say, um, that being both family appropriate and hilarious shows that you've grown, Gerald, you have depth and you have really aged into, uh, this next decade of life beautifully. And that's, uh, that's hilarious. You got me. Yeah. Freshman, sophomore year, Gerald was, was just not a great, really like, 18 to 23 ish. Gerald's a pretty awful human being, but it's fine. I've matured. I've grown. Um, and now I, I really, it was just like, it was dad jokes for like the R rated <laughs> crowd at that point. And now it's just dad jokes. Cause I've got a four year old running around. Uh, just dad jokes, just dad jokes, which is fine. <laughs> Again, I said it on, on Twitter the other day, like as a dad, you got to be committed to the bit. And I've been committed to this bit for like a decade and a half now. So we're good to go, but we're not here to talk about, um, whatever weird stuff Kyle and I did in college, there was a lot of it. We're here to talk about some weird stuff that's happening with people in college currently. Yeah, the Texas basketball team, uh, both men and the women struggled uh, this last week. So we'll talk about both of the teams on the hardwood. Uh, there was some good news elsewhere in the 40 acres, so we'll down the 40 and get you all caught up with the sports comings and goings. Uh, we'll squeeze in a little bit of Godzilla Tron and we'll down the 40. So... I said this to you via text, Kyle. The last three games for Texas have just kind of been abysmal. And I'm running out of ways to say that they played terribly. (laughs) So the Texas men are 0 for 3 over the last three games. uh, Fell in double overtime to number 24, Oklahoma State. And there's just... There's just no other way to say this. The jerseys were beautiful and the play was not. Like there's I've got nothing else to say. Like give me a script T Texas t-shirt, but let's move and leave this game in the past. Texas was absolutely abysmal shooting the ball, really, and that may be too reductive because they actually <laughs> played pretty decent defensively. They made free throws for it feels like the first time this millennium. But they just couldn't figure out how to get the ball in the cylinder when it wasn't from the free throw line. Yeah, no, that, that's that's really fair. I was actually Googling um, the old decades of Texas Longhorns to see when they actually first introduced the script across the chest. I'm just going to say they shot like it was like the 1940s uh, in this one. Um, I would have preferred some underhand, you know, uh, granny shots, except you're right. The free throw line, they, they spent all of their XP points this week on correcting the Baylor free throw stuff. And somehow that just led to a cratering of every other type of shot. Uh, 
20 for 79 from the floor. That's 25%. Uh, Brian Davis of the Austin American Statesman tweeted out that it was the worst percentage in Shaka era, even worse than the the first game of his era, if you remember, which was a uh, well-devised road trip to China, um, which, again, uh, you think you think a road trip to Iowa State or uh, or Morgantown is tough. Um, the road trip to China is a killer, and that's certainly not a road trip. Um, the air trip to China is a killer. Um, and so... Uh, Kudos, I guess, for setting records. Uh, five of 35 from the floor. I think I saw a stat that Andrew Jones, like 14% or no, I think he was maybe 16%. He was two of a lot, uh, was actually significantly uh, or, or improved the overall team percentage. The rest of the team uh, was getting perilously close to single digits from beyond the arc. So it was just bad. It was one of the sloppiest games I've ever seen. They shot really actually well against Baylor, oddly. They regressed so unbelievably. Um, I don't know what to say. That was just an awful, 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 awful offensive game of basketball. I mean, the ineptitude at attacking the 2-3 zone, the inability to hit shots just to keep, you know, if it is broke, don't fix it. Uh, Basically, the new adage, um, just everything on that side of the floor um, should be scrapped, should be the, 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 the box score, the uh, tapes of it uh, should be just burnt in a, in a dumpster heap and, and, and never spoken of again. We're going to speak of it a couple of more times, but, but following this podcast, you can uh, file it away. Like the weird thing to me was so Texas wasn't it. And we've talked about this. I feel like six or seven times this year, Oklahoma state played zone and Texas just didn't really know how to capitalize on that where they got the open shots because of the zone. They found the open man and they just couldn't knock them down where again, they got open looks early in the season. Texas really made its money attacking the basket and attacking the rim and creating uh, wide open looks outside or getting to the free throw line. And when they can't attack the rim, they just seem to fall apart is really what it is. They cannot capitalize on that athleticism. They've got two first round draft picks uh, in down low in, in the front court. Like they've got uh, Kai Jones, who's got, I think a, a top 10 grade by some services. And you've got GB three, who's probably um, a later first round guy. But like when they can't get the ball to those dudes down low and capitalize on the athleticism, they, they haven't been able to make the most of the looks that they're getting. And, and that's, there, there was a point, I think Courtney, and I thought Texas was going to turn the corner because, like, there was one possession where Courtney Ramey was like, oh, I found a little kind of lane against the zone, and he attacked the body of the guy below the, the rim and got to the free throw line. I was like, oh, Courtney Ramey remembered that's the game he needs to play, and then they just didn't do it ever again. <laughs> now, granted, Oklahoma State may be, like, the longest team in the conference as far as, like, defensive length, arm length, sure. um, just the way that they play defense, <clears throat> and so it's hard to attack the basket against a team like that but when you're getting open looks you're getting good looks they weren't bad looks that's the mm. thing like they they had decent looks at it but missed like 33 pointers like there's just you make you make a couple of those and things go differently and so um 
I just don't know. This feels like the Shaka collapse, but this also feels different than the Shaka collapse because of again they had a, they had a week off due to COVID, and you can clearly see that some of the guys are still dealing with the after effects of it. Um, and I think that really speaks to like all of the late game collapses they've had. The last three games, they've been relatively competitive, even ahead yeah. in some of them, and then the legs just fall out from underneath them. Whether it's from the fact that they're out of shape because they didn't all get to practice together or some of them are dealing with the after effects of a pretty significant respiratory issue. So like there's a weird two sides of this coin that I think we have to discuss. Yeah, and I think you're you're exactly right about that. They they've been outscored in second halves and overtimes and it is no coincidence that, you know, their their good runs or ability to finish even close games to kind of have a gear at the end of, of games to look like they were, you know, the better conditioned team to look like they were the more athletic team after you know, 90% of a game had been played, that that just looks to be the opposite. Like, let's not underestimate the fact I have godparents who have, I think they're on week number six, seven of, of dealing with this thing and, and been in the hospital for a majority of that. I mean, and they're relatively healthy, fit folks, you know, if you would have asked me three months ago. So, I mean, it, and wow, to use an anecdotal uh, piece of evidence, obviously everyone uh, and millions and millions of folks have, have fought this. This should not be news to anyone. But, um, I mean, look, it changes the body chemistry. I mean, in high school, if you miss two practices in a week, all of a sudden in the game day, you're, you're sucking when you understand like the, the physical conditioning is a, is an exact science and uh, you know, throw in a, a really, really huge question mark. There, there's no doubt, right? You just look at the second half, the box scores even don't even dive any deeper than that. But I, I will use another super high level rudimentary uh, basketball analysis to say, the pick and roll is the single most devastating play in the history of probably sports, but maybe basketball because you know there, there's there's multiple you know actions that you can run off of it with your your other three ancillary players, but it's devastating because you can have one, two, or both guys be threats to beat you, and it's it's a pick your poison play. When Texas ran the pick and roll against the two three zone, and it didn't look like the roll guy was dangerous, and it didn't look like the pick, uh, you know, guy receiving the pick was dangerous to get to the rim and finish, and the guy flashing to the free, you know, top of the free throw line didn't get the ball, and it didn't. It just, I mean, it, it looked like wasted motion. It looked like they were waiting to get back on defense and just hand them the ball over. It was a resignation. Um, and I really hope, as good as this team is, that they can figure out in the last what are we fifth of the season. Uh, left, whatever chunk we have left here, uh, how, how to handle that. Because, the, I mean, that if that's the limiting factor of a team with a, you know, a Sweet 16 Elite 8 level upside, it's going to be really disappointing, um, you know, if that, which again seems like relatively rudimentary to run zone offense, uh, is the thing that, that, you know, keeps them from reaching their potential. That will be greatly, greatly disappointing. But again, there's two sides of the ball. They played good defense. They held... <laughs> Oklahoma State, who also played really bad on the offensive side of the ball, to 0.83 points per possession, which is really good. And they set a Big 12 or their a Texas record in a Big 12 game with 18 steals against Oklahoma State. So they did some other things really well. It literally was just offensive execution. Um, so again, if we see it, you assume the, the coaching staff obviously very, very, very much and with greater detail sees it. Um, Gerald, I, I believe that they're going to have a chance to work some of those demons out in the next couple games. 
Yeah, and that's that's like the segue that we needed, right? So Texas uh, has seven games left on the schedule. They dropped to number 13, uh, but should hopefully pick back up some momentum. Uh, so I say seven games left on the schedule. There's that potential like reschedule against Baylor at the end of the year, depending on what happens with the Big 12 tournament. Uh, but the next four games they've got, Kansas State, TCU, OU, and Iowa State. So theoretically... Texas should at least go three and one over the next four because Kansas State, TCU, and Iowa State are a combined four and twenty-three in Big Twelve play. So not a ton of good basketball between those three schools. Yeah, and I, I think um, one of those games is Kansas at home. They've already gone and won the road game against Kansas, who's the bottom has really fell out for from where they were in the beginning of the season for sure. Um, I think Ken Palm has both TCU and Kansas State as like over 88% win probability for Texas. Um, so it would be a shocker if they don't win their next two um, and, and have something to say about an OU team that they, you know, played without their head coach and felt like they should have uh, still had a real good chance to win that one and, and, and have something to prove. So you could see a nice little streak where they go 4-0 um, to finish out the West Virginia, Kansas, and Tech, kind of the, the, the tougher three games to finish. I think there, there's a realistic place where you could see that um, happening. But again, OU has been playing good basketball and been hot. I, I just want to put one last thing, and then we'll move off, off the men's basketball team, but one last thing. If you look at the top 25, um, there are lots of teams with losses. What happened going losing four out of the last five should not disqualify Texas in your mind. You should not be talking about how Shaka collapsed, fire him again, which I hope no one's saying. You know, this is a weird year. Everyone's dealing with it. I'm going to talk a little bit in my bang the drum about the outliers to that, but the majority of the country is dealing with weirdness this year. Good teams are losing, losing games they shouldn't, losing games that are toss-up. I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard. If you're betting on college basketball this year, you're a braver man than I. It's it's a tough year to predict Predict just a wild, wild uh, COVID-tinged you know, season for sure. So don't get too, too down on the Texas team. Don't get too, too up on the next three games either. Uh, and, and keep your expectations somewhat in check, and let's just see how it plays out. Uh, life is all about expectations, and a group that – uh, maybe we had too high of expectations potentially for this year. I don't know. The women's basketball team uh, fell to West Virginia, 81 to 75 at home. Uh, they actually led uh, by a point heading into halftime, uh, but West Virginia had a little bit too much offense late. Uh, took a six point lead with about 123 left on the clock and then kind of just won the free throw game uh, to close it out. Um, West Virginia's uh Kirsten Deans uh, scored 30, which goes a long way, uh, especially when you have two other players that scored double digits. Um, Kersey, uh, I'm just going to butcher this one. Gozondriek scored 20, and then uh, Esmerie Martinez chipped in a 12-13 double-double. So, like, that goes a long way to when you have three players that basically score, that score 63, 62 points, um, of 81 that's a that's a big uh big contribution from three players yeah absolutely and and uh kersey gondriziak i think i don't know i've never said it right either or even tried to say it the the rcz thing is just too much it's 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 interesting because that name also evicts like a real midwestern you know good polish genes and that that's not exactly who you're getting she's a a a beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, very, very uh, strong basketball game to match her her, her years long strong uh, Instagram following. I'll leave it at that. Um, she is uh, she's good. They have talent all over. They've only lost two games this season. They're probably a team that I, I think um, 
deserves some conversation. They're uh, they're I think like number nineteen now, but they uh, they legitimately are probably a top like twelve fifteen team, and you'll see that uh, when tournament time comes. They're they're a good team for sure. I, you hope that Texas beats good teams, right? But uh, again, it's year one of Vic. Schaefer, maybe they overachieved early, got out the gate early against some teams that weren't elite, and uh, you're seeing that the limiting factor is, you know, Charlie Collier getting 30 points and 20 rebounds, and if that's all that you do, if you don't have a plan B, um, it's going to be a little tough, but Texas has a really, really good recruiting class coming in uh, next year. They're going to build on, you know, adding the talent layer and just kind of making it a little little deeper and with some more consistency uh, for next season. But again, just enjoy this year. It's year one. There's some really good players. I said it last week. Charlie Collier really, you know, this is a down game for her 21 uh, and 6. You How know, which dare is, she? Which is hilarious to say. But enjoy the time because there's a real good chance that she's a top five pick in the WNBA draft. And, and this is, the you know, the last year she's on the 40 acres. So there's still a lot to tune in for with this team. And, and, I, and I think there's, there's some more wins in this season for for Vic Schaefer's team. Again, where they finish at the end of the year and in the tournament time, we'll see. Um, it's been consistency all year. We've never really changed our narrative there that, uh, you know, if, if, if Charlie Collier gets it going and if, if, you know, one or two other people around her can get it going, then they are as dangerous as, you know, any team outside of the top two or three or five in the country, right? I mean, they can give anyone on any day uh, a lot of heartburn. But, uh, you know, it... it, it Probably wasn't a fair expectation to assume that they were the the ones that uh, that that everyone else was was circling on their calendar and worried about uh, game in game out. They their their peak is really high. Their consistency right now continues to be real low. So hopefully they can get back on track. Uh, next up for them is uh, Oklahoma State at home on Wednesday, and you can check that out uh, on Longhorn Network. So now's the part of the show where we do our massive news dump and we down the 40. And we're going to start on football. Uh, we got some some big news via Twitter Monday morning as we were recording. Uh, Texas former, I guess you could say, um, director of recruiting, uh, Brian Carrington, announces that he is leaving. Uh, he didn't say where, but everybody that's anybody knows that he is headed out west to USC Um there's not been confirmed yet, but all the people with sources say that it's a uh, more quality control role or it's going to add some quality control factors to his job. He's uh, long said he wanted to move toward an on-field role, and so, well, the quality control role is is that. Uh, he'll get to break down film and kind of do some analysis there. It's a loss for Texas. It's a big loss for Texas. I don't want to um, overstate or either understate the impact of Brian Carrington leaving the 40 Acres. And I think it also puts a final nail, I believe, in the the U of H pipeline to UT, where Herman brought people with him from his previous tenure. I think he was the last holdout. Um, so you know, hate to see Carrington go. Uh, I know people who you know know him well, who worked with him as he came up at U of H, and and um, some people in the recruiting world, and and nothing but respect and good things I've ever heard said about him and his work ethic and his ability to, you know, also build his personal brand and in, in career path. And I think this is less a, I don't want to be at Texas and, and more a, um, you know, can I launch to the next, next opportunity? And it sounds like that's, what's going to be going for him. Can't knock a person for moving to LA, but uh, yeah, I think, uh, thank you for four good years, right? Like any good player, you get four years. And if, you know, they're all four good ones, that's, that's a good career. You hope, you keep some of the the coaching staff longer than that, of course, but uh, you know, never never any bad feelings on this podcast for Carrington and the good work he did. 
Yeah, and I think there's a... Um, and I'll just go ahead and say this. Based on everything that's come out, I think part of Brian Carrington's value was kind of making up for some of the relational aspect that the head coach lacked when it came on to the recruiting trail. You can read the stuff that's coming out. Mike Roach did a really, really good uh, two-part retrospective on the on the 2021 class, and I'll talk more about that um, teaser for Bang the Drum. But I think part of Brian Carrington's biggest value is that he was the guy that the players related to, right? You want them to relate to their position coach. You want them to relate to the head coach. But when that doesn't exist – you kind of that that you need a guy to do that, and so and especially with uh, the recruiters that that Texas is bringing on, and even like the early returns from a guy like Blake Gideon, who wasn't really known for his recruiting prowess, but a lot of early um, a lot of early contact from the play from players he's recruiting has been overwhelmingly positive. Which, if any guy can recruit to Texas, is a guy who you know, did the things that, that Blake Gideon did. So um, likely I'm, I'm assuming Carrington's going to work on the defensive side of the ball for Todd Orlando. I think the, the, the USC connection makes a lot more sense as he, you know, worked with Todd Orlando at Texas for several years. So I'm, I would anticipate he probably works on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but again, we don't really have, there's not any like Brian Carrington tweeted about it or anything like that. But again, he interviewed at USC and he's, wouldn't I don't think he would leave Texas for the same role at USC. There has to be obviously something moving him forward on the recruiting trail. Um, just a day after saying he was pretty satisfied with what they had in the quarterback room, Texas gains the commitment from three-star quarterback Cole Lord as a preferred walk-on out of California. Uh, the number 51 pro-style quarterback in the country. My favorite part of this is that he held a scholarship offer from LSU. They, they offered like a day or so before he committed to Texas. Uh, he also had um, scholarship offers from Brown and Columbia. So smart kid, uh, but also can sling the rock a little bit. So uh, that's a big addition to a quarterback room that, you know, and I'll just say it pretty plainly. You may see a guy transfer after spring practice or after fall practice. So um, the depth there is needed, uh, especially from a guy who had some had a or two division one offers on his plate. because He also had an offer from Florida Atlantic. I have no hate for stacking the quarterback room in the new era. And Sark talked about it with with five stars kind of. Um, waiting to be redshirt juniors, you're just not going to see that a whole lot anymore. Um, you know, the, that position especially is going to move. I'm certainly okay with um, getting some really good preferred walk-ons, getting some three-star quarterback commits and kind of having um, a base, a baseline, right? Like, let's not forget we're not that far removed from God love him, uh, but Case McCoy being the starting quarterback at the University of Texas, again, you, I, I love Case personally, but you, you talk about Texas should only have a five-star, the best in Texas, the best in the country. I mean, we're, we're, we're not. It's, it, it is not necessarily the fact that, that uh, that is a given in any coaching time or in any era of Texas football. Um, so, so getting a baseline of good players who could be good backups, can run your good scout team, can, can have high upside, can contribute to the football team in the locker room, and maybe, hey, look, Colt McCoy was a three-star. Baker Mayfield was a three-star. I'm not saying stars disqualify a kid by any means. I'm excited. Cole Lord. If you're the dude, go out there and win the dang thing, uh, and and make it yours. You know any any of those quarterbacks uh, I, I mentioned. So I, I but I do like that strategy of kind of balancing the super high star kids that are high risk, high flight risk, if you will. Um, if they don't win the starting job with some guys who are kind of dependable, solid, steady, 
and specifically with him cole lord again sounding like um a comic book character who uh, a villain who is you know a, a a coal magnate um but he's actually from more of a a gold copper and oil magnate uh family his grandfather who uh rap passed away i believe last month um, a huge uh, donor supporter of UT Athletics, former UT football alum Jim Bob Moffat, who uh, founded Freeport McMoran and may have been to Jerry Jones's chagrin the greatest wildcatter to ever live. His grandfather, um, incredibly, incredibly wealthy because he made um, he lived on the edge and he he made some wildcatting as an industry that's pretty much dead. Someone who's been in the oil and gas industry for a long time. It's wild. It's crazy. The stories are unreal. The business deals, the, I don't know, it's just wild, but uh, his his grandfather was a legend, so it, it, it makes sense that a guy like that would, would come to UT. I think he's got some family here as well, but you got that burn orange in your blood. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, the other thing with that is like, he is, and, and I think Daniel Seahorn, our, our, our recruiting contributor for, for BON, uh, kind of described Cole Lord as like kind of found money and, and not to be reductive with the kid because, again, he's got he's got offers to play Division One football, but Texas is is a kind of a dream school for him. It's kind of an, even though he's from California, you know, he, his granddad was a, was an alum and a donor, and so, like, that's a big deal. And, and with all of the, the accolades of the five stars, you need the Charles Wrights. You need the the Cole Lords of, of, of the world to really even – if they're just program guys where they're there to give you good scout team reps and really be culture guys like you need those guys too because you know, every every culture needs a culture setter and it could really be anybody but moving on the 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 women's tennis team um concluded their indoor season uh, at the ita indoor championship uh over the weekend they uh took out they Actually, pretty convincingly, numbered their number three in the nation. They took out number two UCLA four to two. Before they took a number one North Carolina to the brink, so they were up three to two on the day. And in the third set of that, basically potentially getting their their fourth point of the day for the win, UNC gutted that one out again. Took it to the third set on the three three. Uh, match and lost that one as well so they uh, finished second in the nation at the ita indoor championship a solid indoor season from the ladies yeah and and i i think you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot and see a lot from this uh when the when the spring the outdoor season comes i think they um they want it they were so close the tower's almost orange that losing in a in a fashion like that you you, you it, the uh, coach, Coach Joff, the, the the women's coach, is a great interview. Whenever he's on Longhorn uh, Network, you should watch, or you can you can find his interviews on uh, YouTube. He's he's fantastic. But uh, the way he talks about the fire of uh, of of Tarati and some of the um, Peyton Stearns and some of the players on this team, like you just know that they're going to be super super fired up and salty uh, and want to want to get back and and you know even if you didn't win the the indoor, you got another chance at redemption for the outdoor. So uh, a team that still has national title aspirations and national title legitimate shots, like they would have decent odds to win it on the men's side. Uh, they just had an 11 and one weekend doubleheader over uh, Incarnate Word and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. A nice little last tune-up before they head in to their weekend indoor national championship uh, this weekend. The dual number one men's swimming and women's swimming and diving teams both took out the SMU 
Mustang senior day uh, for several Longhorns in the pool, including um, some All-Americans to talk about. Yeah, the senior day for some really, really good players, right? Uh, from the men's side, Luke Bowman, Alvin Jiang, Austin Katz, John Thomas, Larson, Parker Neary, Sam uh, Pomjemovich, Jake Sanum, Chris Staka, and near and dear to our heart, probably his his pretty close to, if not fully earned his way on to that uh, when we did our Mount Rushmores of the swimming and diving. Jordan Wendell, guy who we love, a guy who's going to win golds in, in Olympics to come. Um, just a, an incredible diver. Uh, also on the women's side, Evie Pfeiffer, Emily Reese, Grace Rich, Ella Tierney. 31 All-Americans across the, the senior class that's that's had their last home uh, meet. Um, so really talented class goes out. Obviously, we talked a lot about the recruiting class. Really talented class comes in. Thus is the cycle under Eddie Reese. But uh, take a time to appreciate uh, some of them. And like I said, especially Jordan Wendell, like a, a truly just like all-time Longhorn name who you know is going to win many, many, many Olympic medals in his in his career. Already has going to continue to do so in his young career. So track and field uh, had Charlie Thomas Invitational um, at Texas A and M, which is just unfortunate but uh they actually had a really solid performance even though it was in college station because well <laughs> it is what it is so the biggest sh- star both metaphorically and probably physically our friend uh trip papiri broke the indoor shot put record uh and moved to number two in ncaa history at the event um overall though texas took 12 events on sunday yeah, congratulations to Trip. That just means he and Ryan Krauser are going to have to compete again. We're talking Olympics against each other whenever, if they do have the next Olympics, whenever that is. Um, two of the best throwers in the world right now, both running uh, burn orange, either alum or current status. Uh, Texas, though, with their men moving up to number nine, women also moved up to number four. They are one of six teams with both men's and women's in the top ten. So, again, when we look back, we talk about those Crystal Conti hires. Um, the one that probably gets the least like shine, gets talked about the least, is Eldrick Floreal, who was brought in by Del Conti as the track coach, and you know, with the intention of let's compete for national titles in, in both men's and women's track and field. And here we are; we have two top ten teams, um, and and again, looking looking good and and looking like a a nationally relevant uh, program as Texas track and field deserves to be. And finally, speaking of nationally relevant, number nine softball will be nationally relevant this year, but they open up much anticipated softball season this week against Arizona in the Texas Classic. Kyle, you ready for some softball? That's number three, Arizona Gerald Goodridge. So you're bringing in right off the bat. They are getting started at the Texas Classic with a, a potential, you know, national title matchup right if 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 Miranda Elish was on this team I do I've said it a couple times but I do still think that uh we would be looking at like a number three versus number four type matchup in this one number three versus nine is still pretty good a chance for the other Longhorns to prove what they got um this also the field includes I think Colorado State Alabama and uh, Sam Houston and that Alabama team is number eight uh, as well. So there's some good ones to open up with a bang. So keep your eyes fixed on the Longhorn Network, I believe, on uh, Thursday and Friday for some top 10 matchups uh, going on in Austin. So softball, you know I'm excited. Here's the thing, Kyle. I feel like baseball and softball are going to be detrimental to my marriage because 
I almost woke up the baby over the weekend watching that basketball game. And again, when Texas is nationally relevant, regardless of the sport I'm going to watch. So I've got to work on like not getting hype when the baby is asleep. <laughs> Fair enough. That's, that's, uh, that's a good, Gerald, that is a good way to think about uh, Texas sports and life. And, uh, and our next segment, Gerald, speaking of getting hype, watching things on your screen, Gerald, we're going to transition smoothly into the section we call Godzilla Tron. What are you watching? On your giant screen. Beautiful. So I, uh, a couple of things. One, again, I will mention this probably a couple more times randomly. I continue to, to sing the praises of Bluey. It continues to be the most accurate portrayal of having little kids. Um, we just watched the, there was one where like the kid just stands in their, Bluey actually stands in their parents' room watching their parents sleep until mom wakes up and is scared, right? Like that's just a thing that's happened to me in the last like, I don't know, probably four weeks. So I'm pretty, it's pretty fresh in my mind. But no, my wife and I are still plowing through the Snowpiercer TV show, no pun intended, that just happened, but um, it continues to, to actually get better. I, I'm pretty shocked at, at how good it is. It's definitely not one to watch with the 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 kids around, but it's it's solid. Uh, something I've noticed is the things that make David Diggs look really good on, on stage can often be weird on TV, like he's just got big <laughs> facial features, so I'm like, that guy's got enormous eyes, like, works on the stage. Again, when it's a close-up shot, it's hard to avoid, but Maybe that works for some people. And then uh, my wife had to work late on Friday night, and so I had some time to myself. And so um, I, I just randomly picked up Birds of Prey on HBO Max. I was like, what's what's a movie I don't really have to pay attention to? And so I, I will not – I'm not going to say it was a good movie. Um, I think if I had paid for it, I'd feel a little bit less positive about it. But, like <laughs> – it was a, it was a, it was a turn your brain off, like you know, watch people fight kind of movie. And it was one of the, I just needed that after the last, you know, last year of life that we've all experienced. I kind of just needed that. Uh, so again, Margot Robbie is Margot Robbie, and she will always be Margot Robbie. Um, the plot was kind of nonsensical, which is fine. It's like a, a comic book heist movie, which whatever, that's fine. Uh, but the action. The action choreography was real fun. The action sequences were fun to watch, which is kind of all you go to those movies for. So maybe watch it. I don't know. Like if you've got a couple hours to kill and don't want to think, check it out. Amazing, Gerald. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue yet again off of your Birds of Prey. On Sunday, I watched A Superb Owl. Ha <laughs> uh, Thank you. Uh, Super Bowl featuring one Longhorn. Unfortunately, Alex Okafor did not win. He did have one tackle, so there you go, something. Um, it, I also watched Twitter, which was very hilarious, and the memes were great and, and just very funny. Uh, Penn State, unfortunately, my, my dad's team, uh, getting roasted for their like huge number, 196 font. Penn State players played in every Super Bowl, except the five they haven't. Um, they tweeted out the stat later, and it was like they've competed in the last 50 out of 55, which was a fantastic and really cool stat if they would have just worded it that way the first time. But nonetheless, I watched more of the Super Bowl as a, a, a you know, third screen or second screen experience, kind of watching Twitter. I didn't really have a dog in the fight. Um Good for good for Brady, I guess. Um, their their defense won that game. Um, kudos to their their defensive coordinator who looked amazing um, in that one. I think you know uh, 
Brian, Byron Leftwich is the offensive coordinator. I'm excited for that guy. There was there was uh, three out of the four coordinators in this one were African American, and I just thought that was the coolest part out of the entire game. And then I saw someone tweet out that Kansas City, or excuse me, that Tampa Bay also had two women on their on their staff as full fledged uh, members. So that's like very cool doing stuff showing that there is a, a future in innovation in, in in NFL, which you know I, I much 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 much. Uh, more appreciate college football because it, it seems to be that the innovation typically starts at that level and then bleeds up to the NFL. But uh, good for the NFL being on the cutting edge in certain uh, areas there. Um, I didn't really watch a ton else. Uh, like I said, it was my wife's birthday. I've been kind of celebrating with her um, for much of the week, uh, but definitely uh, Saturday just kind of uh, had some us time and, and uh, enjoyed that. But it did... Uh, in the times when we when I wasn't celebrating her, I did download a new game. So I've been playing FIFA 21. I usually, I told Gerald before the podcast, wait until the first price drop because I'm kind of cheap even though I love soccer and play far too many hours getting into the RPG elements of a, of a career mode. I'm currently taking uh, German 3rd Division side 1860 München, um, the second uh, favored son of the city of Munich after Giants Bayern up to the Bundesliga and eventually obviously the Champions League. So putting in the hours down there, um, I play a lot of FIFA. I, I, like I said, I've waited because I know um, I like it to hit it kind of the, 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 the dull times when, when we're really in the throes of football or um, top 10 basketball. Uh, I try not to distract myself too, too much, but Hey, now we're, now we're moving out of, out of certain seasons, but the spring, there's lots of UT to cover, so I'm sure I will not play as much as I want to. But if you haven't played FIFA, I don't know if it's still available. It was 60% off uh, this past week, so if it still is, go grab it. It's a good game. A um, little, little improved some things from last year's 20 version, but, uh, you know, good game. All right. We may have to check it out. But now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics. Big Bertha, we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Uh, to go back to basketball a bit, um, you know, I talked about UT has uh, – they've had a rough couple of games, right? Lost four out of their last five. They've, they've lost their last three without a doubt. Um, one of those was to Ken Palm's new number one team in the country. Baylor ranked number one in Ken Palm. Um, there is only – if you look across the country, there are only three teams that have, uh, that have lost um, – a single or zero games, right? There's only a couple that have lost two in this season of, of, of really good teams, but a, a lack of um, just truly unbeatable elite teams outside of, of those top two, Baylor and Gonzaga. Um, you have to think Texas is, is actually faring relatively well, being a kind of a top 15-ish team. Their five losses don't look great, but the teams around them all have five losses. Some ahead of them, like Wisconsin, have six losses. Iowa, a really good Iowa team with probably the best player in the country, has six losses. But there is a, a difference here in the true top end. When Texas just didn't have the final gear, you can chalk some of it up to COVID, without a doubt. But the final gear to hang with Baylor at the end, there's a reason for that. Baylor is really, really, really good. And trust me, you know me, I'm not just... Um, going out of my way to sing praises of the Baylor basketball team, but they are very good. Um, so from Ken Palm, both Baylor and Gonzaga have an adjusted efficiency margin of over 34. Now that's like a, 
that's a key metric. If you're not an advanced stat guy, don't worry. I'm not going to get too deep into what it means. But just think about that. This number that they have, they both have. That has only happened in the last 20 years six times. Four of those teams won a national championship. One was the 38-0 Kentucky squad that lost in the Final Four in a crazy, shocking upset. Another one made the Sweet 16 as kind of the outlier. But it just doesn't happen. And it has never happened with two teams in the same season. So Baylor, really good. If Gonzaga isn't as good as they are, here's where my take comes in. If Gonzaga isn't also historically good this year, the entire country all of the narrative, the entire media attention and focus is on how good Baylor is. And they are talking about Baylor as an historical all-time team. The fact that they are currently in the best conference in the country, in the Big 12, undefeated, and, and they still have some tough games, and they kind of cancel them when they don't want to play, I guess. But during a, a global pandemic, if they can go undefeated in the toughest conference in basketball and keep this efficiency margin on both sides of the ball, then I think there has to be. We'll see how the season plays out ultimately with the postseason as well. But the regular season, just talking about that, there has to be some consideration of this Baylor team and where they rank at least in, in modernity in the, in, the, in the past 15, 20, 30 years where they rank in the all-time teams. They're that good. So hold your head up a little bit, Texas fans, knowing, I mean, you never want to hear that someone in your conference on your schedule in your home state is that good. But the Texas loss to Baylor wasn't necessarily, ah, they should have got him. We're talking about an all-time team. And as much as it pains me to say, kudos to the roster top and bottom and, and kudos to, to Coach Scott Drew. As somebody who was like, felt unimpressed with Scott Drew a couple of weeks ago. Like I I've I've rethought this is what you're supposed to do, right? When you when you when you feel like your opinion is maybe not when you maybe your opinion has been disproven, uh you take a step back and you reassess. And I think Scott Drew has that team humming. Like and there's no two ways around it. They're efficient on like painfully efficient on both sides of the ball. And I think um, you know I think I don't know who I maybe I said this to you, but it was we we're talking about just like where teams rank, and I basically sent you a text. It was like Gonzaga, Baylor, and then I think it was like seventeen or eighteen blank lines, and then everyone else, <laughs> and like that's just they're just historically good. This is um, you know this is like watching Brady and and Manning in their prime, right? These are two of the all timers that are gonna hopefully. And again, it would suck because Texas will likely. This means that Texas won't end up later in the tournament. But you know, we like. Hopefully, these two teams are on a collision course for a national championship game, and that'll be some incredible basketball to watch. Uh, but I'm banging the drum this week on, again, kind of keeping a theme going. I've got some apologies to make. So throughout the year, you and I um, both were fairly upset and fairly frustrated with the recruiting efforts of some of the football staff. And so every year after National Signing Day, like one of the last things Mike Roach, our friend, does before he goes on his post-National Signing Day vacation is kind of just does a notes dump on 247. And so he goes through and he's like, here's the behind-the-scenes stuff that happened on all the recruiting stuff that I couldn't tell you until ink was on the paper. And so we talked about Herb Hand, like, blowing the Brocker Myers thing, which is the obvious choice. But part of it, and a big part of it, was the fact that initially Tom Herman didn't offer um, 
the other Brockermeyer, not the number one recruit, uh, but the the brother who turned out to be a top 150 uh, player, which, again, doesn't really make sense to me, especially given what was going on in the, in the center's room at the time. Um, just offer that kid a scholarship and be done with it. Uh, but, like, a lot of the stuff that we put on the position coaches uh, really comes back to um, – this just not being a fit for Tom Herman and you and I, you know, tried to make excuses for him and tried to come up and see the, the bright side of him. But it just, you know, when push comes to shove, it, it, it was just not who Texas needed him to be. And, and I said this, I think, um, in a chat with, with you and, and a couple of other people today, but like, it, it seems like there was a lack of like learning from your mistakes and a lack of humility there that is demonstrated by not learning from your mistakes. And so like, I hope, because I think he's a, a smart guy. He's a really smart guy. And I think that um, he could be a good coach. If he gets that humility that kind of didn't exist and is part of the reason why he kind of got tossed out on his keister from his dream job after four winning seasons. Like, yeah, four winning seasons for your dream school. That generally is a recipe to get you a fifth. But there was a lot of other things going on behind the scenes that just didn't happen and and so I for the shots I took at Herb Hand for his recruiting now I do think again his on-field coaching was also suspect but the shots we took at Andre Coleman uh for the wide receiver even even for some of the shots that we took at Drew Maringer now there were other things going on he kind of from all the reports that are out there took on some of Tom Herman's I'll say cold demeanor and aggressive communication stylings uh but like there, there, there was you know micromanaging on offers going out, and all those things that really your head coach should like again. And I'll, I'll this is where I'll leave it. A good leader hires smart people and let them do their thing. And that is not what seemed to happen at the University of Texas under Tom Herman. And so for taking shots at the people that were over supervised by their CEO, that's on me. You're a, you're a big man, Gerald. It it it. Uh... It is one of the most admirable traits in a human being to be able to apologize and to admit their faults and mistakes. If I ever come across any, I might do the same uh, <laughs> myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the Herb Hand slander, first and foremost. Um, we'll see. Uh, watch him go and just kill it at uh, Charlotte, where he ended up. Um, you know, wherever Tom Herman ends up, I kind of think I bet he'll have success too. I just none of them, neither of those are dumb guys. I don't think a, a lot of the coaches at UT, whether they were successful or not, here in the past few years have been terrible, awful, dumb guys. It just didn't work out. Maybe it was a personality fit. Maybe it was a work ethic thing. Maybe it was um, a hubris thing. You know, whatever it was. But uh, I think you're, I think you're right to say that all. And then, and then I, I go back to to. Crystal Conti's kind of letter, State of the 40 Acres, he sent out today. It's Monday when we're recording this. Um, saying basically that he echoed Sarkeesian's comment that take this coaching staff and put it top to bottom, you know, line them up one versus one against any coaching staff in the country. And, you know, he would he would put his betting money that it's the best. And I, you have to say that, right? You're the athletic director. You're the head coach. New, new hire. You got to say paying it. through the nose on them. Correct. But I, I, I kind of believe it. Uh, we we get to live for a f- few more months in this fairy tale land where it's all future, it's all perfect, it's all uh, prospectus ahead of us, and so uh, I'm going to enjoy that while I can until you know we have reason to to fire Greg Davis or uh, excuse me whoever the, uh, the the coach du jour is that uh, Longhorn fans are mad at. But uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you. There's some 
there will be some interesting reflections on the Tom Herman era uh, in years to come. I think we will we will not just now, but in the in the coming years, have a chance to reflect that lens and cast it backwards. The Texas Longhorns are undefeated under Steve Sarkeesian. But that's all we've got for you <laughs> this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Kerb. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can catch me on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. We're going week by week through WandaVision. It's getting real good for those of you that were like, eh, I get it. Sometimes sitcom is not great for everybody, but you're actually watching a horror movie unfold very, very slowly. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. All gas. No, no stakes. <laughs>